Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Two Seam Podcast, the podcast where two journalists sit down and talk baseball. I am your host, Tyler Foy, and with me today is a very special co-host, one that has definitely been around the podcast uh, a few times now, former member of the new Northeastern Hockey Talk, right? Current, current current member of the Northeastern Hockey member? Show. Yeah, we're we're gonna start posting that uh in earnest in a, in about a month or two. But happy to be here, Tyler. Happy to be back with you. First Colin time before you didn't even you. let me say your name. Yeah, Colin Colin Gabor. Sorry <laughs> Guys, about that. But in his first official podcast as a member of the rotation, um, which is very exciting. We're very happy to have you on board. Um, of course, Colin is an established journalist now published and works for the boston globes daily show which is fantastic that thing's trying to get off the ground hopefully we'll get some screen time for you soon but i'm very happy to have you here yeah good to be back last time i recorded with you tyler was in august of last year yeah it's been it's been a while but it is good to be back had a great episode with camilo you guys held down the fort you guys held down the fort so i mean yeah i was very um Happy to have you guys fill in and maybe in the future that, you know, that leaves the opportunity for anybody, I guess, within our rotation to kind of have a solo episode if they, if that needs to happen and need be, you know? Yeah. There's always stuff to talk about, especially, especially at this point in the season, as we get on pass into the second half, there's going to be a lot to talk about for sure. Oh yeah. It's an exciting time for baseball as we head into all-star break, but we aren't there just yet. And in this past week, we've had some um, interesting series, definitely ones that uh, have a lot of impact uh, this weekend, but um, and definitely headlines throughout. And as we, of course, head into All-Star break, it adds to the festivities. We know we have um, Camilo Fonseca, who's going to be out there in Seattle, um, giving us some, some insights on our next episode. He isn't here today. Um, but we'll be talking in this episode about the draft as well as the home run derby and the all-star game itself. But before we get into all of that, I think it's important that we get into some of the series that's happened and recap the last week. And one of the things that um, was extremely important as we head into all-star break, this is a, a typical part of the season where we see a lot of injuries come into play. Um, especially at least talked about because when you hit the midway point, you know, some of these injuries can be lasting two months. And and when you're making that big push and you're going into the trade deadline, it can have a major impact on the team. And this past weekend, I think as you guys were recording, or maybe it was earlier this week when the angels went out and played the Padres, there was a lot of concerns because in one singular game, they had lost Anthony Rendon Mike Trout and Otani, although with various different injuries and issues, it was definitely, (laughs) if you're an Angels fan, a very scary situation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at that Padre series, Trout's out for a hamate bone uh, fracture. So he's going to be out four to eight weeks. He just got surgery a couple of days ago. Otani, after all the trash that Juan Soto talked to him, had to leave the game early with a blister. Uh, and he's not going to, it doesn't seem to be too serious, but he's not going to pitch in the all-star game. So he's definitely not going to play um, as much or, or I at all in, in the all-star game. So, I mean, it's good that this, that kind of injury happened now, as opposed to kind of in that playoff push for the angels. So they will probably in all likelihood have Otani back for the start of the second half, but trout that's, that's a big blow. I mean, he hasn't been great in the past month of play, but he's still Mike trout. He's still got, it's going to, produce day in and day out so that that's a tough blow and i mean rendon i mean are we surprised like i'm not like (laughs) no guy has not played a full season for los angeles so no that that one's tough but it's not altogether unexpected Uh, absolutely like they can fill in that hole i definitely trow is a massive one um especially because i mean i would say that this team is doing far better than they should so um as they head into July, and they've already kind of established that Trout or that um, Otani is most likely going to be off of, you know, off limits. Um, how does that change how they approach July and the rest of the month, right? And the trade deadline, which you know, as we get closer to that date, you will 
throw out our fantastic coverage of it you know that's that's just what we do here um (laughs) but uh, it's concerning it is concerning and and when you move into another team that kind of had definitely a little bit of a scare was the Arizona Diamondbacks with Corbin Carroll getting hit by a pitch having to leave the game this is a guy that has really been the heart and soul, although in his rookie season, the heart and soul of that Arizona Diamondbacks team that is leading the National League West unexpectedly, of course. And he has to leave and you don't know what's going to happen, but all of a sudden he's healed, right? Yeah, that that play was dangerous to look at because he took a hard swing, was like a, a hard hack and then immediately just grabs his shoulder. And you're thinking, is this the shoulder he had surgery on a couple of years ago? Yes, it is that shoulder. And he immediately leaves the game with the trainers, goes down to, you know, pass the bug out into the, into the clubhouse. And you're thinking, okay, how long is this going to be? It's not like, is he out? It's how long is this absence going to be? That was my first thought. And then he's back in the lineup last night, unexpectedly, inexplicably, Tori Lavulo uh, says after the game yesterday that the MRI comes back clean. It was just kind of like a stinger type injury that you can play through and, Yesterday, he's back to being Corbin Carroll, goes two for five, scores a couple of runs, drives in one as well. So avoiding catastrophe, that's the only way to put it. This is a guy that's top two in NL MVP odds right now. He's going to win Rookie of the Year. Probably if he stops playing now, he's still going to win Rookie of the Year in the NL. Well, whoa, like, whoa, whoa. There's a new oh, is there, is there there's someone a else? rookie. There's a rookie that's making a lot of waves in that National League. Uh, and also maybe carrying an organization to another division title, right? Uh, and that is Ellie De La Cruz. Although oh, getting a later you know, start, that's a good one. That's a although good one. getting a later start, you know, he could if Corbin Carroll does get injured. Yeah, you know, that kind of even and especially the if the game. if the Reds make the playoffs and if the Reds, you know, continue on in in the playoffs with Ellie De La Cruz, that's going to be an interesting conversation. Of course, if Corbin Carroll loses a significant amount of time um but i still think it's carol's to lose at this point of course dela cruz has been up for maybe a month uh, yeah month and, and in that month and in, change in that month the since ellie dela cruz has been called up the reds have gone 21 and 6 um as of the day that we're recording this episode which is saturday um but obviously he's been a massive part of that squad and a squad that had just recently faced off against um, your favorite team, the Washington nationals. Yes. Yes. So not a, not a banner four games for the Nats. They get swept by the reds and the the icing on the cake was uh, Ellie De La Cruz hitting a monster home run. And then, you know, pointing to the end of his bat, which is something that Davey Martinez, the NAS manager, stopped play that inquired to the umps about. Was like, hey, is this thing legal? It was deemed that it was legal. Two at-bats later, Ellie later, De La Cruz comes up, hits a moonshot, motions to the NAS dugout, points at the bat. Then Davey, in his infinite wisdom, decides to be on the wrong side of this issue and is like, we don't want any part of that in our game or whatever it is that he said. I'm, of course, paraphrasing, but come on, man. What, do you, what are you doing? Like th- this is one of the most electric players in the MLB right now. And you're putting yourself on the other side and being like, Hey, we don't want that kind of fun um, in, in baseball. And this is after you get swept in a four game series. Like I, I've been saying it for the past maybe year and a half, like Davey's got to go. That's a different conversation. Not, not for today, but I, that, that was like, like you get, you get demolished in a four game series and you come out and, and, and disagree with what one of the faces. I mean, I say Ellie's one of the faces of baseball at this point. You know, okay. maybe, um, maybe, maybe over the past month, like the face of baseball. I think, I think that's a fair thing to well, say. Well, when not. you're when you're having a breakout season and you start becoming MLB's social media darling, that's just what it is, right? I don't yeah. think he necessarily does anything special to do that he just plays his game and his game is outstanding because he's got the speed he's got the power you know it's exactly what MLB wants right now to have as like a feature player um if he stole more bags you know how many more posts he'd get from MLB um with the shorter base paths but yeah Elliot Ella Cruz is absolutely tearing up the league um over the past month of June and heading into July of course he's been pretty hot um and I mean, hey, I, uh, 
325 batting average and 13 steals. He's he's almost accumulated one war in 117 at bats. Uh, he's at he's at 0. 0.8. So I I'd say you after you said it right, he's playing his game and his game is outstanding. That's that's the work. That's the right way to put it. Yeah, I mean, and I'm glad you mentioned you know Davey Martinez because. Um, not that it, this was necessarily something I kind of wanted to get into, but in the previous episodes, we kind of have talked about um, his activeness. He's, he's probably one of the most active managers when it comes to arguing with umpires and getting out of the dugout to argue with umpires. And it comes from a team that is so bad that it's like, I don't know whether or not he's just trying to motivate his players or not, you know, but at the end of the day, this guy's getting ejected quite a lot. Well, the thing about that is, I agree with you. He did that in, in you know, probably most famously in the World Series in that game six with the Trey Turner running down the baselines. But he hasn't done it or hadn't done it that much this season until it started a couple of weeks ago when the team has gone on this skid. They've lost like 15 of 16 home games. They've been playing horribly. But the thing about Davey is that so many Nats fans are like, hey, he can keep the job as long as he wants because he, you know, brought the Nats a World Series. I feel like that honeymoon period ended like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Like this this guy seems like a great guy, seems nice, can't manage a bullpen, but managing a bullpen is a very difficult thing. That I can kind of write off because he doesn't have that many high-quality arms to deal with anyway. Mm-hmm. However, this Nats team does the little things wrong Every single night, base running, errors, making bad throws, you know, just making bad decisions. Like, that's the kind of thing that good coaching can fix because all these baseball players are very talented. But when the little things start dropping off, it means that there's not a lot of discipline in practice. I think the Red Sox dealt with something similar early on this season. That comes from coaching. And if, if you're not if you're not doing the little things right as a bad team, then something is wrong because a bad team should lose games because the other teams are better than they are. They should not lose games because they are shooting themselves in the foot. And that's what the Nats have been doing constantly. And that that's something that didn't happen when Davey Martinez wasn't there. And it did happen when Davey Martinez had a good team. They were playing, they were doing little things right. But it, with this team, Davey Martinez is not the right manager. Well, it's been a little bit of time since Davey Martinez had a good team to work with. Um and when you know, I, I like how we we're kind of talking about the Nationals because it kind of does transition to you know the Nationals right now are, are playing the Texas Rangers, and over this past week, the Rangers in the last weekend series they played four games against the Astros. They dropped three there. They played against the Red Sox next. They dropped two there in a three-game series. Um, so this is really nice for them, you know, and, and I don't mean to diminish the team's name, but when you're in a little bit of a rut and you come against a lesser opponent of yourself, it can really help the Texas Rangers not go into a really big skid going into the all-star break. Um, because obviously dropping three games to the Astros, that's that's pretty massive. Now, the Astros did have a not so great week where they could have made up some real ground here um, in that division. but. You know, when we talk about the future of of the AL West and how um, how competitive it is, and how surprising the Texas Rangers have been, obviously going into the All Star break, going to the skid would have been pretty pivotal um, towards their momentum and energy going into that second half. Yeah, I mean, and for the Rangers, it really hasn't been the offense, right? It's it's been this pitching staff, and you thought. Jacob DeGrom's getting Tommy John. He's out for the season. How will this rotation hold up without him? It's a rotation that has some good names. I mean, Nate Evaldi, of course, Tyler, you know all about him. Martin mm-hmm. Perez, you know all about him as well. But John Gray, Dane Dunning, and Andrew Heaney are guys that haven't really proven it yet. And mm-hmm. Dane Dunning is doing fantastic. Uh, he, of course, is a former Nationals prospect that went over to the White Sox in the Adam Eaton trade that involved Lucas Giolito. He's got a 2-6-1 ERA. He's thrown 86 innings. He's been good, but Avaldi didn't have a great start against the Red Sox. John Gray has been struggling of late. Martin Perez is a pitcher with a 4-8-1 ERA that you knew was not going to live up to that contract he signed last season. And without DeGrom, this rotation and this bullpen, especially because the, the starting pitchers aren't really picking them up, have been struggling. And when you when you play a team like the Astros or even to an extent, the Red Sox, who unloaded on the on the Rangers bullpen a couple of nights ago in a comeback victory, you have to be able to 
understand or at least maybe expect that DeGrom's not going to play this entire season. I, I don't think we all any any of us expected a Tommy John surgery to come this year, but I don't know if they built enough around to have a contingency plan for DeGrom to get injured because it seems like the pitching kind of fell off at the time, maybe a week or, or two weeks after DeGrom got injured. Um, you know, I think I see sort of where you're coming from. And, and we talked extensively, or at least I did. I talked extensively about the Texas Rangers on a previous episode on what I felt was making them so good, which I, I said about the coaching staff. It's pretty much a brand new coaching staff this year, all new hires, um, not new like personnel in the game, but just new to that organization that have absolutely transformed some of these pitchers and some of these hitters. Um, and you know, we talk about good coaching. That's what it does. That's what it has done. Um, now the question is now, as we're talking about it, is that longevity of that team. Um, and obviously dropping six out of their last 10 games um, is concerning. Still three game buffer over the Houston Astros who don't have Jordan Alvarez. Right. So I think everybody believed that the, the Astros were going to run that division and they still possibly could in that second half. They're, They've won seven games of their last 10 um, now, but they've lost their last two, right? So, I mean, everything's going to really, you know, once we actually hit the all-star break and everybody gets a little bit of a, a breather and we get back into the grind of the game, I'm sure we'll, we'll have more things to say about that division. But it really is. It, I mean, it's, it's exciting to see these two teams go at it. Uh, and there's a lot of two team races going on right now, such as, you know, in the AL Central, although not maybe comparative in terms of the play of baseball, you know, still on the Cleveland Guardians are a half game back out of the Minnesota Twins. Um, and then you go to like the NL Central right now with the Brewers and the Reds and and they're playing each other this this weekend, which we won't be able to cover completely, but Brewers take game one and close the gap to one game. And then in the West, we mentioned these Arizona Diamondbacks that are surprising everybody. Well, the Dodgers, who have kind of been like one of the best teams, if not the best team in baseball for the last few years, well, they're only a half game back out now. So they're right in the coattails. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about these races that that we've been seeing. There's there's a lot of dogfights that are going to come down to the wire, I think. The most compelling of which I, I would still imagine is that uh, that West with, with the Astros and the Rangers, just because we haven't seen a team challenge the Astros in a while. So I'd say that's the most compelling. But the Reds, the Reds are a great story and the Diamondbacks are a great story because who saw the Diamondbacks going toe to toe with the Dodgers this season? I don't think anyone <laughs> saw that coming. Not me, man. I don't think it's sustainable at all. I, I don't think their pitching can hold up. Uh, in the second half of the season, this is a very young pitching staff. You know, Ryan Nelson and Tommy Henry are doing fine. They're not lighting the world on fire, and these guys are really young pitchers. You know, maybe Brandon Fodd, if he can come up and 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 start pitching like the prospect he was kind of built to be, that could, that could help the team out a lot. Of course, Zach Gallon is a guy that's that's very good. Uh, I think he's he's the one of the D backs all stars, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, but. I still see this division as the Dodgers right now. They've made up a lot of ground in the past couple of weeks. So I, I don't like it because, you know, I hate the Dodgers. But I think I think if, if the if the Diamondbacks can stay, I think they're going to relinquish the lead in this division in the coming weeks. I think if they can stay two or three games back, it can make for a really exciting September between these two teams. And you mentioned the young arms that are pitching in, in um, Arizona. And I think when we get into... Each of the teams, when we get into that next episode, we're really talking about the sustainability and longevity. You know, it does come down to some of these veteran players just have that experience. They have the experience of going 162 games um, and, and, and frequently, right? And you, you, every year, you know, you get a little bit better maybe duration. And we're seeing it in the Miami Marlins case, the Miami Marlins shocking the world with how well they're performing. I mean, still nine games out of a... <laughs> out of the uh, top spot in the NL East because of the Braves, but I mean, still holding down a second place wild card spot, and uh, once again, another surprise. But they're getting a little bit tired as well. They're getting some fatigue heading into the break because you know they're sending down Yuri Perez, right, who's been their arguably their best pitcher 
to this point of the season. Uh, and they're trying to just, you know, give him some more rest by optioning him down to minor leagues, bringing somebody up to pitch while he can rest and then bringing him back. Like some of these guys who haven't had those, that experience and aren't maybe as durable, we're going to see some of that going down the line. So that could come into play by the, for the diamondbacks, but we also have to remember we're over halfway through the season and they're still holding that top spot. They are no joke. No, for sure. And it's a, it's an interesting point about Yuri Perez because this is a guy that we knew a hundred percent that his li- his innings were going to be limited, and but the only thing we didn't know was when that was going to be. Is that going to be at the end of the season if the Marlins aren't in the playoff contention, or is it going to be earlier so they can save him for kind of a playoff run at the end of the year? That it seems like that's the case now because this is a Marlins team that's coming off of a nineteen and eight June. They played great baseball. Uh, Yuri Perez is a pitcher that was a big part of that. He, he sub 2.5 ERA. He was missing a lot of bats. He was, you know, keeping the pitch count down in a lot of his starts, which is something for a young pitcher was really important. And when I saw this move, my immediate thought was that they're just doing this as like a roster move. He just pitched the day before. They're going to send him down, bring someone else up for the final couple of games. Then you'll get him back for the second half of the season. Then I read a little bit more about it. It seems like this is just him limiting innings. But he's still going to pitch in the minor leagues, I imagine, right? He's not going to just sit there. So what I don't understand is if why he's going he... to pitch anyway, why is he not pitching for the Marlins? That That's my big question. That's still going to be answered. If he does end up coming back up at the, at the second at the start of the second half after this All-Star break, then, you know, all those questions will be answered. It just seems like a weird move. If your, rationa- if your public rationale, which is what the, Mar- the Marlins is, is that you're limiting his innings, why would you send him down to pitch innings in the minor leagues? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, that doesn't. I, I presume that it would be that he wouldn't pitch. Yeah, it doesn't. It does not make a lot of sense. And I, I think the smartest thing to do, and I think this might be what they're doing, is that roster move. But may, and, and maybe they're trying to play like some 17 dimensional chess here and say something, but do something else. We yeah, don't know I'm- for sure. I mean, his clock's already started, so I mean, you know, there's no manipulation going on here. Um, I don't know what optioning does, you know, for players' contracts. Maybe there is something that they're doing with the contract. I don't. I have no idea, you know, for the future. But yeah, I mean, he, he's already at like 84 plus innings between you know starting in Double A and the majors, which is more than he's pitched in the past two years. So it makes sense to limit his innings. I just don't understand because it seems like they're going to want him to pitch in double A or in the minors again. That's what I'm seeing at least. Well, you know, sometimes you can go down to the minor leagues and find yourself and, you know, recapture a light, reignite yourself. And maybe that's what we saw with Alec Manoa, who in the previous episode um, that I recorded with Camille, we had to mention Alec Manoa because he had a horrific start in rookie ball. and. This past Friday, he comes back and pitches his first game with the Blue Jays and since then and has a dominant start. So, uh, Colin, whoa, Colin, could you bring us through that? He's back. He's back. That's all I got to say. No, he, this game was against the Detroit Tigers, right? Like there wasn't. There wasn't a lot here that made me like, okay, he's going to be great again. I mean, still, the things that were plaguing him in the early on in the season seems like they were still there, maybe just a little bit to a lesser extent. But I think that him being a competent pitcher, I don't think he's going to regain that kind of Cy Young form that he had in years past. I think if he's a competent pitcher, that's going to help out the Blue Jays a lot. Look, six innings, eight strikeouts against the Tigers is good. That's that's a good start, you know, after after going down to the minors and, and going to rookie, uh, what is it, the complex league and kind of working out the kinks there. I think that's good. I think he's going to be a solid pitcher down the stretch. I don't think he's going to regain that Cy Young form just yet based on this start. If he gives us some more to work with going forward, I think we can maybe approach that topic again. But after this start, I'm not thinking, OK, he's going to be dominant. He's going to, you know run a sub two ERA. Like I'm not thinking that just yet, but there's still time. And it's a good, it's a good step forward for him. Definitely. Absolutely. I, I, I agree that there, you can't <laughs> tell the whole story with us. One start against the Detroit Tigers. I mean, players have come up in the league and 
you know, I mean, you, you either get shell, you can get shell. like so much can happen in just one game. You cannot tell a player's career off that. Um, but him coming back definitely helps the Blue Jays. If he can come back to form, that is, uh, will definitely help the Blue Jays in their push for playoff success uh, to get back there and maybe not blow their game to the Seattle Mariners. Um, but, you know, that's another thing that as we head down the season, you know, implementation to the roster um, from organization side or through trade is going to make massive impacts. And we saw with the New York Yankees, they brought back or well coming off of injury is Carlos Rodon, right? That was their big free agent signing um, after bringing back Aaron Judge um, and not losing him. They get a, go out and they get a starting pitcher. Um, they get Carlos Rodon and, and he's injured to start the year. Uh, this rotation really has just been the coal train and nothing else. Uh, Domingo Herman, Herman, you know, pitches a perfect game, but you know, he's still not, I mean, a consistent guy. Luis Severino has been terrible. Um, I think terrible is an understatement for Luis Severino <laughs> right now. Um, and so here comes Carlos Rodon. And if he can perform, I mean, the Yankees are going to have a, um, another piece of that rotation that can just help them get more wins. Now he, he does get back into the game against the Chicago Cubs does not get the win uh, only pitches four and one third inning. He walked two people and struck out two people, which is a little concerning, right? Like he doesn't, he didn't really get the numbers, but he's never been like a big numbers pitcher. Um, yeah, I, I did not love what I saw in this start for, for Rotan. There's a lot of things, you know, you said it, you said it, Tyler, the, the numbers there, they're not bad. Five and a third innings coming back from a major injury. He threw 78% of his pitches for a four seam fastball. He's still working out the kinks, right? But the expected ERA on this start against the Cubs was 6.34. The actual ERA was 3.38. You know, the, the average exit velocity was 94.7 during this start compared to, you know, a career of around 89. A lot of these things, yes, of course, it is a tiny sample size, the smallest sample size that, that you could possibly have, and he's coming back from injury. So I'm not taking, you, you, you're not taking all of this at face value here, but there's still some things that I didn't like what I saw. Throwing four-seam fastball 78% of the time makes me think he's not comfortable with his other pitches just yet. And that's not great. Of course, it was he was still relatively effective. You know, the the launch angle was was really only high. gave up the, two runs. Only gave up two runs. The the Cubs were you know they were hitting the ball hard against him though. You, you that has to be put into account. But I think as the, it's kind of a similar thing with Manoa, but to to maybe a little bit more of an extreme extent because we haven't seen Rodon at all this season. There's been so many setbacks with his injury. We thought he would be ready for the start of the season, or maybe a week past the start of the season that didn't happen. And now we're at the all-star break and, the, and he's back for the first time. So this is a stepping point. He only threw 60 or, or 70 pitches in this start. He's going to, he's going to ramp up. I don't love what I saw here, but there is definitely room for improvement and anything is better than what the Yankees have right now. Anything like you, you said it, it's Cole and no one else. And I think Cole is, is a one a he's, he's S tier you know, as, as they say, but I think Rodon can, can creep up to that kind of in between the, the production of a two and a three starter this season. I think that's where he he's going to be by the end. And, you know, Domingo Herman is be is okay. He, he's not going to throw a perfect game. Every start Luis Severino's bad. Clark Schmidt's been doing fine. Nestor Cortez is underperforming. This Yankees rotation has some problems. So Rodon's not going to fix everything, but he's definitely going to help him get over the hump a little bit. And I mean, in an absolutely competitive American League East, any addition is going to help you um, stay more competitive. I mean, the Red Sox currently are three games above 500 and are in last. And of course, we, I mean, that's just been the story for the American League East the entire season to this point. It's just how good these teams are um, and, and how strong they are. But the Rays, who started off the season better than anybody else, you know, they've lost their last six games. We don't have Camilo here to talk about um, what has really, you know, gone into those games, right? Why they've started to falter maybe a little bit. 
Um, maybe it's just fatigue. Maybe they just need the all-star break. I mean, that's another thing. You know, these guys are tired. They've played their hearts out. And maybe there's just a little bit of fatigue going on. But, yeah, I mean, the Rays dropping six in a row is, is not a great sign. The Orioles winning three in a row, um, still losing six in their last ten. Obviously, he's going to make that division race maybe a little more competitive. I mean, only three games back now, those Baltimore Orioles. Uh, and, and this week, um, I wanted to mention that three of those games that the Rays dropped were against the Philadelphia Phillies. And they are on an absolute tear on the road right now. They're on a road trip uh, currently, and they've won their last four games. But in the entirety of their of the last 13 road games, they have won each one. That is a franchise record for them. Um, well, that is the franchise record. If they go on and win tonight, which we don't have coverage for, uh, they would have broken their franchise record. That is insane. You know, in other sports, home field advantage, like home court is a lot, home ice, like they, there's it's a lot more impactful than in baseball, but still going out on the road and winning 13 games is very impressive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this NL East, you know, obviously the nationals notwithstanding is all playing great baseball right now. Braves nine and one in their past 10 Phillies eight and two. Hey, the Mets are seven and three. I don't think they've lost a game in July just yet. Maybe, maybe one loss thrown in there, but the Rays are interesting, right? Because they started the season, what was it, a 15-game winning streak, something to something crazy. It feels like so long ago right now. But 22-6, and six, you know, in, in the month of April. Now they're 0-6 in July. They've allowed 31 runs and scored just 16. And this is a team with a run different, a plus 100 run differential, you know, going in uh, in April and, and starting in May. So there was a lot during this during this July, that was a little bit concerning, right? You talk about this Phillies game. The Phillies are a hot team, but these next three games against Atlanta heading into the All-Star break is, is going to be big because, hey, Atlanta can easily take the next two. And, and they took in the first one. They took the they first took one. They took the That's, first one, right. It was 2-1. It was a close game. Uh, and hey, who knows? This might be the World Series matchup right here with that, the way that these teams are performing. So Absolutely. And, and I think the Rays need one of these games. They need one of these games, get themselves some positive energy going into the all-star break. Then you can start thinking about the second half, but losing what it would be eight in a row. If Atlanta takes the next two, that, that could be demoralizing for a team. And, you know, the race seem like a kind of team that can kind of flush the first half and, and go forward to the second half. Um, they, they seem like a team that has that kind of, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the wording is, but they have good energy over there in Tampa Bay. Let, let's just put it that way. Dog mentality, dog mentality. I like it. So I think I think that's I think that's what the Atlanta obviously would want to win these two games and I think they easily can but I think I think the Rays need to get one of these back and you talk about divisional races uh in in the MLB the Phillies are 11 games back of the Braves obviously but I think the divisional race here is going to be for the number number 2 spot in the NL East and that that'll go into the wild cards as well between the Marlins the Phillies and I think the Mets are going to make a run too I was talking with Camilo last week and I said you know, we're not talking about this right now, but a bold prediction for the second half, I think the Mets are going to come back. And I hate to say it because I hate the Mets, but I think they're going to make their way into wild card contention here. So the Marlins, the Phillies and the Mets, that's going to be a storyline to watch going forward because the Phillies are only a game and a half back on the Marlins right now because of this winning streak. Yeah, and the Mets have won their last six games as well uh, as they're facing the other one of the other disappointments in the National League, which is the San Diego Padres. Um, but because that the entire like summary of the league can really be said in like a surprise, like there's just been so many unexpected playoff contenders that when you head into that second half, so much can happen. Like, you know, will, will the predictions level out, you know, what's gonna, can they really keep it up? I think that's one of the things that we're going to just continuously say as we get closer and closer. And I'll probably get proved, proven wrong time and time and time again. But I really do have faith in these organizations that have had a little bit more success in the past couple of years 
than some of these ones that are really trying to establish themselves within a division, such as the Marlins, such as the Diamondbacks, such as the Cincinnati Reds, which I do have to sort of apologize for because they're keeping up the win streak here. Or, you know, they're keeping up the wins. And I did say they wouldn't. Um, but wait until my uh, second half prediction to see if I fully apologize or not. Yeah, I mean, talk about the Reds bringing back what what we talked about last year when the Reds got made all these trades and, and short up their future. I said I thought they had a two or three year rebuild window with with Noel V. Marte and, and Carnacio and Strand and McLean and Elliot de Cruz. I didn't think they would come up and produce at this high le- high of a level this year. Mm-hmm. So they've been obviously really surprising. And they got more on the way too. Right? Yeah. You mentioned Marte and Encarnacion Strand. Those guys are not up yet. And Noel V. Marte was one of the best prospects in the Mariners system at the time. So this team is only going to get better. I think the pitching, of course, is is their struggle. Um, but free agent pitching, free agent pitchers exist, and, and this Reds team is going to be dangerous next season if they invest in their arms. Well, I had said last year that the Cincinnati Reds, you know, they had the best draft of any other team. And I put their window in about a, a three to four, right? I said, these guys, I'm going to wait for these guys to get some development. Uh, Cam Collier being one of them. Like I, I thought it would take a little longer and you're right. They don't have pitching. That is the biggest issue for me is they don't have sustainable pitching. They have Hunter green. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. Where's, where's the rest, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's definitely going to be interesting as we head into the trade deadline. But I do want to move. As well, I one thing I think that oh. I think these this is one team that can make a serious run at Aaron Nola next year. I think Nola is going to going to hit free agency. He's a veteran pitcher with a young pitching staff. I think they can make a run for him. Interesting, interesting. Talking about next year's free agency, that's too far away for me. That's too far away for <laughs> me. But as of the day that this episode is being published. There's an exciting event that happens every single year around this time, um, which is the MLB draft. And I love the draft, even though that the MLB draft is probably the most useless draft. And maybe not useless, but the most least, the least impactful draft of all the other American sports, just because it's such a rigor, long and rigorous process for any of these prospects to kind of get into the major leagues. And that we see so many more busts if you will call them in the MLB than you do in an NBA or NFL or NHL so you know there is a lot of um, unknown and failures in MLB draft but I love the draft okay I, I just get so much enjoyment out of it and this year there seems to be some pretty nice prospects that are very highly touted as are any years but I think in a way one of them really stands out above the entire crowd um and that is paul Skeens to me and he is slated as you know the number two prospect um or the number one prospect from some the number two for some others and he is a college pitcher he played in the uh for lsu to win that college world series um and he's just an exciting arm uh some say he's probably the best pitching prospect we've seen in the last few years. And I, I agree because one thing that he is, is he's just developed um, as a college arm. He's, he's very developed and uh, he can probably make an impact on the team in the next two years. Some think that he could pitch this year, which I think is an absolute overshoot. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Skeens pitching this year is just not going to happen. I think people are, people are like, Oh, the pirates pick Paul Skeens and he helps them make the playoffs. That is not going to happen at all. This is the guy that just he went the farthest in the NCAA baseball tournament with LSU and and they ended up winning. He threw like 130 pitches to start. That's not going to happen. That's neither here nor there. But what I think the Pirates are going to do is what they did when they had the first overall pick in 2021, which is take the best available player with the lowest signing bonus or signing cost or whatever it's called. And then, you know, use that value to stock up later in the draft. And that would be Max Clark. And we're seeing a lot of we're seeing a lot of reports that the pirates are angling toward Clark. Of course, that could be smoke and mirrors to kind of distract the teams behind them in the draft. But Clark is a guy that said he's willing to take a discount. Um, and, and, you know, Skeens and Dylan Cruz will probably push eight to 10 million as their opening, uh, as their opening cost. So the pirates did this with Henry Davis in 2021. Uh, Davis was just promoted uh, to the big league. So 
they could do that. The best available pick, you know, it's either Skeens or Dylan Cruz, both LSU Tigers. Um, Cruz said he he's probably going to push 10 million on his on his cost. So that's definitely going to be interesting. I think my gut feeling is that the Pirates go with Dylan Cruz. That's that's what I'm thinking they're going to do. He's, I think he's the maybe not the consensus top overall, but he's been that for a while. And I think the Nats, the Nats are going to take, they have the second round pick. They're going to take whoever is available between Skeens and Cruz. And if they have a choice, if, if the Pirates take Max Clark, I think the Nats are going to do what they always do and, and focus on pitching. So I think they're going to get Paul Skeens. If yeah, it's up to next, me. The next Steven Strasburg. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's what he's been touted. I personally think Dylan Cruz would be a better pick because Skeens is a guy that hasn't yet had Tommy John surgery. I think there's a lot of wear and tear that still needs to happen on that arm before he makes it to the big leagues. I think a safer pick is Dylan Cruz for me. And I mean, you, you think, you think about in the future for, for this Nats team, an outfield of, of Dylan Cruz, Robert Hassel, the third and James Wood, that sounds pretty good to me. Uh, and then, and then you pair that with, with the infield prospects they have in Kivir Ruiz and Mike Rizzo has always shown that he has a, he has a knack for, getting pitchers in free agency. Of course, the only good one I can think of is Max Scherzer, but Hey, Patrick Corbin was the winning pitcher in game seven of the world series. So I'm not going to be talking bad about him right now, but the point being here in this long winded response is I think the, I think the pirates are going to pick Dylan Cruz and I think the Nats are going to get Paul Skeens. And I think Max Clark, Wyatt Langford and, and Walter Jenkins are going to go in the, in the next three picks. Yeah, I think this is one of the strongest top five that we've oh, seen. Oh, for sure. Um, and it, and it seems like strong, but also just ahead above the rest. Yeah, and just to kind of, for people who don't know, um, the Pirates have the number one pick and the Nationals yes. have the second pick with the Detroit Tigers picking third and Texas and Minnesota rounding out the top five picks. And for the prospect board, Everybody, the, the general consensus between the mocks um, and the scouting association is that Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford, Walker Jenkins, and Max Clark are your top five prospects, um, and that they're going to go within that first five picks. Now, I would like to say that Walker Jenkins could fall a little bit quite a bit maybe even so he had he's a 18 year old no he's a high schooler who's battled a shoulder injury throughout his senior season and for those reasons I think that you have to have a little concern as a young player investing your number four pick into him then rather than somebody who might be a little more established um, maybe for some of these organizations up there I could think of maybe Detroit well maybe not the third pick but I could think Minnesota might not want to invest in a Walker Jenkins. Maybe they'll go for a pitcher um, such as Chase DeLander or, or Rhett Lauder. Those are the next two best college arms on the board. Uh, I actually really like Chase DeLander. I think he could be really good, um, you know, even though he's number, uh, what is it, number nine on the prospect ratings. I think that he could get higher leverage like he could go he could go a little higher than nine and if he falls down to 14 which is where the red Sox are picking i'd love the Sox to pick chase the lander yeah i mean it could happen i mean we always see these kind of behind the scenes machinations that we don't know them and and that that results in players getting drafted below what we expected and the uh, the red Sox at 14 is an interesting spot because you know they're not going to get one of these top guys of course Mm. but they're going to get someone good. This is a pretty deep draft and you're, you're, you're in the top half there. There's some good arms there. I think the Red Sox will probably focus on an arm in this year's draft. I feel like I remember they drafted only shortstops last year. Something that you were talking about, Tyler, if I'm remembering correctly, but oh, oh boy. Um, yeah, we, we don't have to get into that just yet. I think we're, we're probably running up on our time at some point here, but I, I think this is going to be a really intriguing draft. Of course, the Nats as the number two pick is intriguing for me, but these are college. These are some good college players here and, and some good, there's some good names in this draft and it's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out uh, tomorrow night. The Boston Red Sox have failed me time and time again in these drafts. You know, you got to go with best available. I understand that. I loved when they picked Marcelo Meyer. 
I love when they pick Tristan Casas. I wasn't really paying attention to the draft too much back then in 2017, but when they picked Tanner Houck in the first round, that obviously seemed to have, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, he's in the major leagues, he's pitching frequently when he's not injured. But in the last four years, the Red Sox have pitched or picked a middle infielder every single time. Last four years. I mean, I get that, you know, there's no Bogarts anymore. You got to prepare for that. Maybe that's why they were drafting those guys because they knew Bogarts most likely wasn't going to return. The middle infielder for the Red Sox is terrible right now. So, in a way, because of the way that they drafted, um, probably led to the certain holes that the team has right now. But they are so reluctant to drafting a pitcher. It's insane to me why people complain about, oh, the Red Sox can't develop arms. They can't develop arms because we don't draft them. They don't have any arms to develop. So so if you don't go out and get yourself an arm, and, and there is a massively bad statistic. I don't know exactly what it is about drafting high school arms in the first round and how they pan out. They typically don't more than a position player. So those statistics obviously factor into it as well. Um, and in 2016, they drafted Jay Groom, and he never worked out. So maybe they're burned a little bit. But I would love to see them draft an arm. It's just where is just the the conclusion that I'm coming to here. Now, if they draft like a you know an Aiden Miller, you know a corner infielder, um, or if they draft an outfielder, you know I would really like an outfielder. But obviously, the best outfielders are Dylan Cruz, White Langford, and Walker Jenkins and Max Clark, and they're not going to fall <laughs> to 14. And the next best outfielder probably would be Enrique Bradfield Jr., who also was like touted as the number one prospect at the beginning of the college season and has fallen all the way down to prospect ranking 21. Um, that in itself could be also a sign that he might go higher in this draft because of his previous reputation and that there still is, you know, I feel like when you base it off of one college season, it's so tough, right? Because he was built up, built up, built up, built up so much, um, stories you know there was so much depth to this player and you know maybe that pressure uh going into a year at Vanderbilt uh kind of added to why he might have not performed as well but I still think he could go higher than definitely higher than 21 uh especially being the fifth best outfielder on here he definitely could go higher than that yeah definitely I mean the the, the entry here will will only get more intriguing as as i as i always say as as we get to closer on the drafting the red sox pick is going to be is going to be one that that we'll look at as do they know what they're doing for the future right because yeah we've seen we've seen this team have some trouble with knowing what they are and i think this season they're not 100 percent sure about that just yet and so <laughs> i don't even know anymore man right like like if, if if the fans don't know the ownership doesn't know like what is this team that's a whole different conversation camilo and i kind of got into that last week but these teams draft picks often you can kind of figure out based on like what they think of their current roster and and also what their projections of their roster will be for the future like the red sox pick a pitcher they probably think hey our, our pitching doesn't look so great a couple of years down the line, which makes sense because it really doesn't. So that, that's the kind of thing you have to keep in the back of your mind when you see these teams make the picks. Yeah, and um, we're going to move on, but I just want to have one little last little thing for those that are going to be watching the draft tonight. Uh, look out for Bryce Eldridge. He is an 18-year-old, and he's a two-way player, right? So kind of, you know, that new wave maybe of, of players that are experimenting because of Otani with the two ways. Now he's remember, a high remember, schooler. He's a high I remember two way McKay. Uh, two for way the Rays. McKay. Brandon he, he McKay. kind of flamed out. Yes. And Bryce Eldridge being a high schooler definitely doesn't make me confident in his ability to two way. Um, now he did play very well as a high schooler, but there's a lot that can happen with the kid, but he, he, he could go in the first round. It will be interesting who would take that risk to go draft Bryce Eldridge. Um, but look out for that. And like I said, guys, watch a draft, watch a draft. Um, and if you are, have nothing to do while this all-star breaks going on, 
well, you should be paying attention to all-star festivities. And the first thing that happens of all-star festivities is the home run derby. And I don't know, uh, Colin, if this is maybe just me getting old, but I don't enjoy the home run derby as much as I did when I was a kid. Um, but this year seems like it could be it could be fun. It's got some uh, good narratives to it. You have Pete Alonso who's trying to reclaim his title to get his third home run derby win. You have J Rod trying to win a uh, home run derby in the home his home park. You know, th- there's some fun things there. I get to watch Mookie Betts, and you know he still has a place in my heart. Yeah, the the storylines here are really interesting. I think you hit the nail nail on the head with the first one. Pete Alonso trying to, you know, three-peat against the hometown kid, right? Well, not a three-peat because he lost his last one. Well, three-peat in terms of, you know, getting three. Whatever. My apologies. That's not what that means. Uh, (laughs) Trying to get three wins uh, against, uh, you got to get past J-Rod, who kind of shocked everyone last year, made it to the finals against against Juan Soto, where Soto won his last accomplishment in a Nationals uniform. That's neither here nor there. Anyway, um, but there's some interesting names here. I mean, the Home Run Derby does this every year. Like, the top two home run leaders in the MLB aren't even here, Otani and Matt Olson. Of course, Otani is hurt, so he wouldn't do it anyway. But, like, hey, Matt Olson, uh, he's leading the NL in homers. He's not on there. Adley Rutschman and his 11 homers are in the field. Um, I'm excited to see Adolis Garcia in the Home Run Derby. I think that's going to be really fun. Sleeper picks definitely on that side of the bracket. He can he, he's the strongest it. one on that side of the bracket for me. It's it's uh the left side of the bracket is Luis Robert at the one seed, then Adley at eight, Adolis at four, then Randy Rosarena. So Adolis Garcia and Randy Rosarena's first round is, is going to be electric. That one's going to be great. Of course, it's going to have a lot of personality because those two players always ha- always showcase their flair. So that'll be interesting. Adley just doesn't make any sense to me. Like he's why is he here? He is eleven homers. He's a he's obviously like a great story for the sport, but come on, guys! Like, there's there's probably like 50 players who have more homers than he does. Like, what's going on? But you know this, you know the Horn Derby. Jamer is... Condelario has more homers than he does. Let's get let's get hashtag Jamer for HRDs trending on on Threads now. Let's get that going. All right, let's calm down. Let's calm down. <laughs> but one thing is to mention, you know. The MLB doesn't force its players to do the home run derby. The home run derby Should. is <laughs> okay. Let's once again let's calm down. <laughs> I don't believe that. Um, but you know these people are basically I don't know volunteering I guess to to go do the home run derby, and it's definitely fun. There's a hundred thousand dollars on the line um, for those who win, and you get to go and and put some excitement out there, get your name out there, get a little more exposure. Um, I know that a lot more people learned about who Julio Rodriguez was through the home run derby. That's fair. So there, there is that aspect to it. Um, for Adley's case, I don't know. I don't know why he's there. It could be, it, all... it could be, you know, the home run derby's glorified batting practice. Maybe this guy hits absolute nukes <laughs> Moonshots, yeah. in batting practice. Maybe the launch angles there for him um yeah maybe the, i think also the velocity there i don't know i think you make you make a great point because it, it does showcase these teams and players on teams that may not get the publicity they deserve i think the orioles are one of those teams right yeah. they're they're going toe-to-toe right now on the top of this division with the rays and they have so much young talent on this team and maybe they're getting talked about nationally enough but i think this will kind of get them a lot more especially if adley shows out in this home run derby right um then that'll that'll be great for for the orioles and and for kind of the general public outside of the dmv area to to know about dmv is district columbia maryland virginia by the way um to know more about the orioles that are that are a great story so such a young team they they're doing great things um in in with you know gunner henderson at the at the rutchman all their young players uh obviously jorge mateo's not doing anything but cedric mullins is, is playing good baseball too so I think that's probably what it is. Maybe they got down the list of 50 players. Everyone said no. And Adley was like, sure, I'll do it. Maybe that's how it worked. But, but Hey, I think, I think Luis Robert and Adley is interesting because neither of those players, I don't think I've been in the home run derby before. I don't think the entire left side of the board has been on the home run derby before. Maybe Randy was on there a couple of years ago. I don't remember. And we don't have Camilo Fonseca to help us here. 
Um, I would have loved to have him here to, to discuss whether or not he thinks Randy Rosarena is going to wear his cowboy boots um, to the home run derby because that's his signature. He's just He just turns into a different baseball player when he has those cowboy boots. So I presume he'll wear them. Um, I'm excited to see Vladdy Guerrero Jr. I mean, the, we, we didn't mention, I mean, the right side of this bracket is so stacked. It has Alonzo and Julio Rodriguez meeting in the first round. And then Betts versus uh, Guerrero Jr., which that is going to be um, a battle of, I think, you know, my worry for Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is that he's going to go for those long home runs rather than bets who's going to go for those wall scrapers. And this is all about how many you hit in a certain time. It's not about how far you go. Now, if you hit it, if you hit, hit two home though. runs, if you hit two home runs over 440 feet, you get that extra 30 seconds to go out there and hit some more. But well, you know, the issue with bets... Vladdy last year was the fatigue though. Remember? Yes, that is right. That is right. He did get tired, which if you're freaking putting together, which if you're, you know, putting together, um, big at bat after big at bat over and over again, just taking hacks, you know, you're, no, you're I, get I would get fatigued after two swings. So I understand. We got to but... hold a little, uh, softball Homer and Derby just between, you know, friends of the two scene podcast, friends of the two scene podcast. Yeah. That'll be interesting. You know, I I'd win. So it wouldn't be that interesting, but, uh, that's not true. That's not true. But, uh, now we're well, going to ask fields. I'll ask you, Tyler, what's your dream finals matchup here? I know what mine is. I want I want to know what yours is. Um, I think the best one, and I think we're both going to have the same on at least one side of the bracket, will be Adolis Garcia being in the final. Yep. Uh, and I mean, the spectacle would say J-Rod, because that's yeah. that's the home ballpark. But I actually would love to see Pete Alonso get his third home run derby. He seems to be one of the only people that cares about this event. And to see him win, that's why I want him to lose because he no, cares no, so much. Because, no, 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 no. You want him to lose because he's a New York man. That's also part of it. Yes. Like, okay. So, Pete Adoles- Alonso has gotten a lot of hate this year from non Mets fans. I don't really see it. I don't see why. I think that he's, you know, just like, I don't have a problem with his personality on the field um, that other people do. Uh, I would like to see him win this whole thing. Yeah. You know, I, I see what you're saying. I fundamentally disagree with it, but I would, I think Adolis for sure on the left side of this bracket, it would be really fun. Adolis and Jerry Rod would be great. Adolis and Vladdy would be great too. But I think, I think the dream from the dream matchup is Adolis and Jerry Rod just because of the Seattle angle. I don't think Jerry Rod's going to get out of the first round. I think Pete's going to crush him. But, no, no, um, I don't know about that, man. Jerry Rod's good, man. He's 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 good, but but I I mean, you you waken the polar bear. Bad things are going to happen. That's that's the best matchup in the first in the first round. You're going to be watching the finals, in my opinion. One of those two guys are going to win it um, and make it into the finals. Yeah, but I think Adolis in the finals would be would be great, and I think. You know, the, the mic'd up battles. You know, there's going to be a mic'd up segment on YouTube about this. Adolis and like J-Rod would be so funny. Both those players have such personalities. Pete's just going to be like, don't talk to me. I'm focusing on, on the game. Like, come on, man. Um, so I think, I think you know, content and, and, and showcase-wise, I think Garcia and, and Rodriguez or Garcia's and, and Vladdy would be, would be pretty exciting. I think Mookie is a sleeper pick as well to make some noise, but... It's going no. to be fun. I, I kind of disagree with you. I love watching the home run derby. It's my favorite part of the, of the all-star game festivities. Of course, the celebrity softball game is the best. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, <laughs> no, no. I agree. I agree. Uh, I used to love that, but they've kind I did, of. I, I used to love that as well. I, I wish I was able to go to the all-star stuff when they were in Nats park, but I was, I was sadly not available. That would have been great to see everything, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the home run derby for sure. I'm, I'm excited for this one. There's, some new names, which I think is always exciting. It's not the same people over and over again. So I think it'll be fun. Um, it'll be interesting to see if there's that big upset like last year when I think it was Pujols beat Schwarber and everyone was like so surprised or like the year before when Otani lost in the first round. So I think I think there's going to be some surprise. I think Adley could be one of the surprises. I know I was talking some smack about him, but Number eight versus number one. See the the underdog uh, narrative could could stand strong here in 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 the left side of that bracket. Yeah, and 
there's there's a lot of excitement within within all-star weekend uh, i know that you mentioned that it's it's this is your favorite event to watch uh i i like the i like the all-star game though um i don't know if i like it as much now with it well, unless becoming... we get some pop if we get some poppy cam going then then we're talking if we get some poppy cam i'm gonna be glued to the screen i would watch the entire game if it was just, it was poppy, just poppy cam, cam and it was just his reactions maybe like bringing it in and out of the broadcast but you yeah know, of course just... he can't he can't talk to alec manoa about taking him deep because manoa will not be at the all-star game this year no he will not but that was my favorite part of the all-star game last I'll year take you was popping cam <laughs> i think all-star weekend for me i've just maybe lost my spirit it's all about the draft i watch the draft and then it's like oh i got well, a few you, days you're, you're all business these days tyler i'm all business it's all, it's all business for you you know showing up to the podcast in your collared shirts while, while i'm <laughs> okay. while i'm wearing my my t-shirts you know it's whoa. all business whoa can't be you can't be talking about how i'm dressing out here okay we're both <laughs> wearing full suits actually as we record yeah. this podcast tuxedo uh, time but if i was going to the all-star game I would be wearing a tuxedo. Absolutely. You know, I'd be wearing one of the most, actually, I might be wearing like a flashy suit and we might see that on the all-star game red carpet. Um, but some players that were originally, you know, going to go to the all-star game and be on that red carpet are no longer because of injury. So we got to address and we have to talk about um, probably briefly here. Cause I don't have much to say about the all-star game. Uh, the AL has won like eight in a row. The AL has won like 30 of the last 36 or 37 all-star games. So I don't know whether this national league can finally topple down the strongness of the American league, but yeah, it, it, some because of injury, and the way that the MLB is doing it now uh, with the all-star game, you know, every team has a representative. So some injuries have kind of come into play and taken out some of those that aren't, or that were originally slated to go. Uh, such players, like we mentioned, Mike Trout's injured at, right at the beginning of this podcast. Well, Kyle Tucker's going to come in and he's going to replace him. Wander Franco is going to be on playing in the American League for Aaron Judge. David Bednar replacing Clayton Kershaw, uh, which a little fun thing about that was David Bednar, after getting the ability to go to the All-Star game, um, facing the Dodgers, he actually left Clayton Kershaw a cooler of um, Pittsburgh beers. Um, so that was a nice little gesture, a little fun gesture. Um, Julio Rodriguez, you know, fan favorite for this one, I guess, uh, is replacing Jordan Alvarez. George Kirby coming in to replace Shane McClanahan. And, and those are kind of like, those are five people that are going to be getting an opportunity now to play in the all-star game um, that they weren't originally. So that's exciting. Good for them. Congratulations. I'm excited to see um, how they perform. If they do get time, not everybody gets to play in these all-star games because there's so many people on the roster with every single team needing a representative, but, but it's, it should be a fun time. It's always a fun time, and it's nice to get a break in the middle of the season uh, from that competitive baseball. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, one of the more exciting parts of the All-Star game is they always talk to the players during it, and that's something they started doing in Sunday Night Baseball, which I hate. But during the All-Star game, it's okay because it doesn't matter. Game, game doesn't matter. Um, so that, that, that'll definitely be fun. I think, you know, it'll be a showcase of some of these players' personalities that we don't always see. I know for you, Tyler, Alex Verdugo was very outspoken about how, you know, fan voting is a popularity contest, not seeming to understand that it is called fan voting. And that's kind of, you know, how it is. But he thought he was snubbed for the All-Star game. I mean, maybe he was. doesn't really matter. I mean, Red Sox are, are not doing too much. But that's neither here nor there, of course. Um, I'll, I'll let you jump in on the Verdugo train. But one thing I didn't understand is why is Whit Merrifield in the All-Star game? he's not he's literally doing absolutely nothing and he is he's going to be one of the reserves so that's just weird but there's always going to be some of those weird picks uh, on the reserve teams yeah i know last year i kept making jokes about paul blackburn um and paul he needed to send someone they needed somebody out there this year they have brent rooker thankfully who actually is doing stuff so that's good for them but 
Yeah, and, and then Paul Blackburn, I think he actually got an inning. So I was very impressed. Uh, I was surprised to see him actually go out there and pitch. Maybe Brent Rooker's going to hit a home run. Somebody's going to do something. We'll have things to talk about when we get back for the next episode of the Two Scene Podcast. But I do believe that is our time here. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, um, you guys can give it a rating on Spotify. We we're starting to pay attention to that. And you know, that kind of lets us know whether or not you liked it or and if we can make improvements. And if you have any criticisms um, and or you want to jump in on the conversation, you guys can go tweet at us at the two scene pod or you can thread us at the oh, two yeah. scene pod, um, which is very exciting to say. Uh, if you have a gripe with, uh, with what I said, you can go find me on Twitter and on Instagram uh, and on thread as tyler underscore underscore foy and colin where can they find you well i'm on threads as well i'm i'm hit with the newfangled technology tyler i'm at colin kapoor on both so you want to talk to me about any kind of asinine takes i've made feel free to jump in well we thank you for listening to this episode and we look forward to seeing you guys next episode